All right, it is good to be here this morning with you and trust that you have had a great week and uh, that you're excited about today and what the Lord has in store for us. How many of you know this fella here? Is that name, uh, Brother Jerry, is that name familiar to you? Yes? Not personally. Not personally. You've heard of him, all right. J.C. Ryle was an old English evangelical Anglican preacher uh, from 1816 to 1900. Uh, you know, back then, back then, these men were solid. Uh, they, they preached the gospel. Uh, sadly, the Anglican church has gone in the wrong direction today. But anyway, he, he once said this. Money, uh, I'm quoting here, money in truth is one of the most unsatisfying of possessions. It takes away some cares, no doubt, but it brings with it quite as many cares as it takes away. There is the trouble in the getting of it. There is anxiety in the keeping of it. There are temptations in the use of it. There is guilt in the abuse of it. There is sorrow in the losing of it, and there is perplexity in the disposing of it. I read the following article this week about money. And that's what this lesson is about today. Quote, everyone talks about money. Some because they don't have enough. Some wish to make more. And some are simply obsessed with it. It has always been this way. But nowadays, making money seems to be the main goal on everybody's to-do list. Of course, money is a means to an end. We need it for comfort, education, medical procedures, and so on. But we should always remember that there's so much more to this life than money. Someone has jokingly said, I remember hearing this many, many, many years ago, yeah, they jokingly said that money's not everything, but it's way ahead of it's way ahead in first place of whatever whatever it's ahead of whatever's in first place. Someone once asked John D. Rockefeller, "How much money is enough?" And his reply was, "Just a dollar more." Someone once asked Howard Hughes, "What would make him happy?" And his reply was, "Just one more dollar." I read this article several years ago. It says, when a London newspaper offered a prize for the best definition of money, the winning definition was, quote, money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and as a universal provider of everything except happiness. And how true that is. In our study of James from verses... Uh, well, first of all, I invite you to take your Bible, if you have your Bible with you, and go ahead and turn to the book of James. And we're going to be, uh, again, in chapter 1. And I'm going to read, uh, well, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Pardon me, verses 1 through 11. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. 
My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let, verse 9, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Father, I pray now that uh, you would uh, bless your word to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be attentive. Help us to learn something this morning that will help us in our walk with you in our service. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we continue uh, this study in, uh, on the subject of a faith that works, uh, from verses 3 through and 4, we learned previously that, that we can be joyful in the midst of severe testing. Now, regardless what going what, what, what is going on in our lives. A faith that works rejoices under pressure. Has anyone had any pressure this week, by the way? No pressure? It's been a pressureless week? Well, if you did, if you did, if you had some pressure this week, what did you do? Did you rejoice? Then in verses 5 through 8, I'm sorry. Oh, then in verses 5 through 8, James taught us how to secure uh, the necessary wisdom for properly interpreting the uh, purposes of our testing. We saw that last week. He said that if we are to count all of our trials as joy, that we must have help from outside of ourselves. And James called this help wisdom in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, and we define wisdom as God's perspective on things, how he views them life all right it's not about us it's about him Uh, we learned that there is a of course a universal shortage of uh, biblical wisdom and everyone desperately needs it and the reason we need wisdom is because it's necessary to help us understand how to use the circumstances of life for our good and for God's glory we need wisdom because when going through trials we will do unwise things And without God's wisdom, we will only make foolish decisions. No good choices. uh, Not good choices. Uh, We are incapable of making good and right decisions by relying on our human reasoning. And every Christian has pressure. Uh, Every Christian has times of discouragement, times of disappointment, trials and tests. And because we do not have the necessary resources to cope with them within ourselves, it's essential that we have God's wisdom. James also reminds us that uh, the source of true wisdom comes from God. And uh, true wisdom cannot be found through secular or human means. It's not by going to university and obtaining a degree in wisdom. There's no such thing. 
We also learn that we can secure wisdom simply by asking God. And when we come to Him, we must ask Him in faith, believing that He will answer. And we must ask without uh, a doubtful mind that is unsettled, as, and he used the illustration of, of the ocean of waves going in and out, back and forth, tossed to and fro. And uh, he said that's the way many are today. Um, we saw that God has sufficient wisdom to give. From verse 5, we learned that God gives to all men who will ask him. And that he gives liberally, generously. And because that is, of course, his nature, to give. And uh, he gives out of a heart of love for his children. And everything that he gives, according to verse 17, says every good, and, uh, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, uh, from above. Verse 5 also says that God does not scold us for asking. Uh, he doesn't get angry with us. Uh, he doesn't get irritated uh, or impatient uh, or weary when we ask for wisdom, regardless of, of how often we ask. So now let me ask you a personal question this morning, all right? Did you ask God for wisdom this week? I trust that you did. Every day. Just to handle, I mean, in order to handle the trials and tests that God allowed for you to go through. Uh, Or did you try to work things out for yourself? A faith that works will seek God's assistance, His wisdom for the trials uh, that, that come with life. Okay. So now we come to verses 9 through 11. And James, uh, he's going to answer the question, uh, do rich people, and I'll ask you this question, do rich people have trials and tests just as poor people do? Yes? yes? Maybe a little different, but it's still I'm sorry. I Their troubles usually come with more zeros on the end. Yes, sir. That's good. Very good. So James continues his theme of trials and tests uh, of life by using two illustrations that um, they're probably the most universal test known to man, and that is poverty and wealth. Okay, and he is now going to uh, share some theology with us. Uh, about the trials of the poor and the rich. So James says uh, that we can be tested in various ways, in many ways, in verse 2, including the test of poverty and the test of wealth. And whatever their social or economic position, both poor and rich need to see God's eternal perspective about riches and the trials that they bring. And so whether a person is poor or rich, trials come to everyone, regardless of their status in life. Not th- just, just because a person is rich does not exempt them from trials and problems. Okay? And uh, whether he is elevated from poverty to riches or lowered from affluence to poverty, the circumstances in the Christian's life change and the trial of our faith is put to the test. Perhaps the greatest temptation that the poor face is covetousness. Why? Because they see themselves as deprived and they, they deserve what they want. And I'm sure that uh, we, you have seen the ads in magazines and on television that tell you that you deserve something. I had several illustrations. I, I 
forgot to bring them, but uh, 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 magazine clippings. Uh, here's a brand new Porsche, and it says on there, you deserve this. You've seen it? Not only, well, maybe not that one, but whatever it is in life, you, you deserve this. You need this. You need to have this. What? Can't afford the magazine. Can't afford. <laughs> this is going to be a good class. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, with a big S, with a big capital S. The rich man's temptation is his pride because of his wealth. And he needs to remember that uh, riches are deceitful. Now, they're not what they seem to be, and they never satisfy. Now, you know, being rich is not a guarantee of happiness, all right? And some of the most, uh, and I'm sure that we're all aware of this, some of the most miserable people in this world are wealthy. I mean, just look at the rich and the famous today who seem to have everything and yet many of them end their lives tragically. You know, sinful man has a distorted view of things. That's why we said wisdom is God's perspective on life, not man's. And, and, and he thinks that because he's rich, that he is forsaken and uh, uh, poor. Excuse me. He, he thinks that because he is poor, that he is forsaken and unloved by God. And if he's wealthy, he's blessed. And he's favored by God. So let's notice what James says about the rich and the poor, all right? And we're going to start off with this fellow right here. In verse 9, we read about a rich, poor man. A rich, poor man. And uh, James addresses this matter. And from his letter, it's evident that both rich and the poor Christians worship together in the churches. And, 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 of course, they had both groups, and both groups had trials. And so James, that's what James is dealing with now in these verses. The majority of the Christians at this time were predominantly poor. Many of them were uh, fishermen, uh, uh, carpenters, tent makers, uh, farmers, shepherds, even slaves and beggars. All of these groups they, they were encompassed in, the, uh, in, in these churches that had been scattered abroad throughout the Mediterranean area. So this man in verse 9, uh, he, he is in poverty. Notice what he says. Let the brother of low degree. Now that little phrase, low degree, it means in humble circumstances, of lowly rank, undistinguished, of no value or importance, in a condition of dependence or in poverty. It refers to one who is poor and has no apparent value in the community. That was the majority of the believers. And it is possible that many of these converts to Christianity had been made low because of their faith in Christ. You know, and I've read this somewhere, it says, for, for an Orthodox Jew to accept Christ meant that he would be disposed of any inheritance and that he would be cut off completely from his loved ones as though he were dead. When a Jew became a Christian, their family would have a funeral for them. I don't know if you knew that. Indicating that they were now dead. And as a matter of fact, this still takes place today in many Orthodox Jewish communities. 
if you become a Christian, we had a young lady in our church in the, the Springs there, and she uh, was saved. She trusted the Lord as her Savior, and her family disinherited her. It still happens today. So James encourages the poor to rejoice. Remember in verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. What? Uh, James, you've gone too far now. Uh, How can we rejoice if we are poor? We have nothing to rejoice about. The poor, humble person can rejoice because of his high standing uh, or his position spiritually. James reminds the poor that they are rich and they are exalted in God's sight and therefore of great value. The Bible makes no promise of going from rags to riches. Did you know that? And when you become a Christian, regardless of these televangelists, regardless of what they tell you, this uh, prosperity gospel, regardless of all of that, uh, uh, when you become a Christian, it doesn't solve all of your problems. However, in a sense... That is what happens. The matter of going from rags to riches. When you get saved, that's exactly what happens when you're born again. And when we are saved, we receive all the riches of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are clothed in His righteousness. You know, God's Word has a lot to say uh, about the poor. Just read the book of Proverbs, and you'll find that the word poor is mentioned at least 54 times. Jesus also, Jesus also had a lot to say about the poor. Here's one example, Matthew 26 and verse 11. For ye have the poor always with you. Well, that's the rich poor man. Uh, now what about the poor rich man in verse 10? But the rich in that he is made low. All right. James now addresses this person. This this person, he has plenty and he lacks for nothing. And although the majority of believers were poor in these these churches, uh, there may have been some, very few probably, who were rich. In verse 9, the poor man is exalted, he's lifted up. But here in verse 10, the rich man is humbled, he's made low. However, James is not condemning the rich because they are rich. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but it's important that we understand, folks, that nowhere does the Bible condemn riches. Did you know that? Uh, but Brother Doug, it's okay that you're a millionaire. Uh, uh, that's future. That's future. Oh, that's, it's, coming. it's coming. All right. But the Bible does not admonish us for being rich. Uh, matter of fact, it does frequently admonish the dangers of prosperity. Jeremiah 9 and verse 23 says that the rich man should not glory in his riches. Matthew 13, 22 says it speaks of the deceitfulness of riches. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10, Paul tells Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil. Heard a so-called evangelist once say that what Paul meant here was that It wasn't the love of money. It was the lack of money that was the root of all evil. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Uh, well, uh, your version does. My version says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the basis. And yours says? Uh, it, it says, um, what are all kinds of evil? Uh, all right, all kinds of evil. Yes, sir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I think they're both right. Well, I think we ought to have an argument over it. I don't. <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I don't relish arguments. All right. If God's word says it, that settles it. Whether I believe it or not. You've heard that expression, right? God said it, that settles it, and I believe it. Anyway, uh, many Christians are tested in the matter of poverty, but few with their riches. And the rich brothers reminded not to live for riches or, 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 or trust in them because they give a false sense of security. Wealth is not what it seems to be. Uh, matter of fact, Jesus said in Luke twelve fifteen, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. You see, in God's sight, a wealthy man has equal value with the poor man. Amen? And unlike us, God is no respecter of persons. At the cross, everyone is on equal ground. The ground at the cross is level for everyone. And in heaven, we will all be joint heirs with Christ, and everything that God possesses is ours. Here's what one author said, quote, Christianity is the great equalizer. Nobody is poor in God's kingdom. We're all equal before God, and everyone is significant and important, not on the basis of what we have, but because we are in Christ Jesus. So the rich man's wealth doesn't impress God. Your millions or billions does not impress God one bit. He doesn't need any of it. And it means absolutely nothing to him. And whether rich or poor, we are all precious in God's sight. And we need to remember that man only sees the outward appearance. But God sees the heart. And if the rich man's wealth is taken away and he becomes poor, he can still rejoice for his position in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, James deals with the shortness of life. And so we now come to another illustration. You know, James, remember, he uses a lot of illustrations from nature. And he tells us that, uh, that the social position passes away and, and wealth fades away just like a wildflower does. In the field, it's died from the scorching summer sun and wind. And he's reminding us here of the, the brevity or the shortness of life. Matter of fact, in in chapter 4, and we'll look at this again when we get there, but in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then it vanisheth away. It's like a puff of smoke. Every day, three times a day, we have a cup of tea. And we have a little electric kettle, and when that thing boils up, the steam begins to come up. And that's what James says. He says, your life is just like a puff of smoke. It's just a little bit of steam. But we'll look at that a little closer next when we get there. David said in Psalm 103, verse 15 and 16, As for a man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it 
no more. And so the life of the flower of the field is brief, and so it is with the rich man, who will soon pass away, and, and he'll leave his earthly possessions behind. One author said, the man who depends on the material things of this world will one day fade away. It will all be over, and everything that he trusts in will be gone. Hmm. You know, that reminds me. I don't know if you've ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. Have you? Now, Pastor Mark, was, we were talking about this last night, and he has. When he was in the funeral industry, he said they brought Grandma up, and it was being pulled by a hearse. Grandma was in the U-Haul trailer. I forget where they came from. Where was it, Mark? From Texas, they brought her up in a U-Haul trailer. But that's all. That was it. You know, when we entered this world, folks, we brought nothing with us. We came in with empty hands. And do you know what? When we leave here, we will exit empty-handed. 1 Timothy 6, verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain that we can carry nothing out. How many of you heard, have heard of Alexander the Great? <laughs> Alexander the Great was considered the conqueror of the world. But the day came when he became ill. And he knew that he was soon to face his appointment with death. And on his deathbed, he summoned his generals and he told him his three ultimate wishes. Number one... The best doctors should carry his coffin to demonstrate that in the face of death, even the best doctors in the world have no power to heal. His second wish, that all of his wealth he had accumulated, money, gold, precious stones, etc., should be scattered along the procession to the cemetery so that everybody could see that material wealth acquired on earth stays on earth. And the third wish. In those days, when a person died, it was the custom for their hands to be wrapped up in cloth in their coffin so that no one could see their hands. His third wish was that his hands should be left hanging outside of the coffin for all to see and understand that we come into this world empty-handed and we leave this world empty-handed. Now, whether that is True or not, again, these are uh, supposed wishes that he had made. Yes, sir, it does. John Jacob Astor, I, 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 read, I read a few years ago uh, a book entitled Unsinkable. It was the story of the RMS Titanic. On April the 14th, 1912, the mighty unsinkable, the builder said that even God couldn't sink it. It went down in the Atlantic to its watery grave with almost 1,500 souls. And among them were many poor third-class passengers and some of the world's richest men and women. And when the Titanic sank, the richest person in the world was on board. You know who that was? John Jacob Astor IV. 
And when his body was recovered from the water a few days later, it was reported that he had $2,440 and a gold watch in his pocket. You can't take it with you, folks. The author said, $4,600 might buy passage in the most opulent suite on board the Titanic, but it could no more purchase a seat in a lifeboat than could the $36 paid by the lowest steerage passenger. You know, for centuries, the world has been told that the rich and titled were different. But on this night, the rich and the poor were equal in God's sight. Proverbs 22, verse 2 says, The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The author went on to say, Both the poor and the rich can learn from the illustrations of the shortness of life. However, the rich man needs a double reminder that he must not allow his wealth to breed a false sense of security within him. So, I want to ask you uh, this morning, as we come to the close, where is your treasure? There are many who trust in God. You know, our, 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 our currency, I believe, still says, I don't think they've taken it off yet, have they? It still says, in God we trust. The problem is, it's not the God that we worship. This here is the God that the world worships. Folks, don't trust in your accounts. Don't trust in your bank accounts or your investment portfolios because they can disappear in a moment. And we've seen that, haven't we? Don't put your trust in the temporal, but in the eternal. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19-21. And you know, folks, because life is brief, uh, I want to share with you real quickly here some, some principles that we need to know about wealth. Okay? The first is this. Uh, the source of our wealth. Everything we have, everything we have, our finances, our jobs, our homes, our lands, our real estate, our investments, our credit, our equity, our cash, uh, our businesses, our vehicles, our families, all of our personal items, they all belong to God. And they're given to us by God. And, and, and you know what? It, it, <clears throat> pardon me. And it's a part of our treasure or, or wealth. And it all comes from God. In uh, <clears throat> Melody, would you read please 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10 through 16. I want you to notice what David said. 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 16. She's going to read this in English, by the way. <laughs> Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, and forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. 
Both riches and honour come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great, and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none hiding. O Lord God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee and house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand, and is all thine own. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Everything. Everything we have, it's God's. Remember that. And here's, here's something else. Not only the so- source of our wealth, but there's the stewardship of our wealth. And you know, if there's one area that Christians need wisdom in, it, it's in the matter of our stewardship. How we handle and how we spend, uh, in, in actual fact, what is not ours. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, a steward was and I'm sure you're aware of this, was someone who managed another person's household. He was a trustee or or an agent for the benefit of the owner. He didn't own anything. All that you and I have belongs to God. And, 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 And He is the owner. And you know what? He has appointed each of us to be stewards of what is His. He requires that we be faithful with our stewardship. And one day, we will give account for how we manage his affairs. We're to be good stewards and make every effort to manage God's riches as an act of worship. And I think that this includes, of course, the matter of our giving. And uh, we are to, uh, as Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So we give to the Lord. Why? Because of his grace, because he has given to us. And then thirdly, there is the sharing of our wealth. And J- James uh, covers that in chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. He says, If a brother, or, and we'll look at this closely when we get there, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them, not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? This morning in my devotions, I read another verse that I believe goes right along with this, and that is um, 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. Amen? And you know what? You can't outgive God. It's impossible. Through our life, throughout our Christian life and our ministries, we have found that to be so true that we cannot outgive God. He always returns uh, and blesses us abundantly. 
So uh, the stewardship, the uh, sharing of our wealth, and you can, by the way, you can go through Proverbs and you'll see that uh, uh, Proverbs speaks a lot about how to treat the poor and to help take care of the poor. And then the final thing is the sowing of our wealth. The Bible tells us how we are to give. And in his second letter to the Corinthian Christians, Paul reminds them of a farming principle which he applies to Christian giving. He tells them in chapters 9, verse 6 through 9, that the harvest is directly proportionate to the amount of seed that is sown. Jesus put it this way in Luke 6.38. Give, and shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. One of the authors that I read said this, quote, it is only as a human, it is only as a man has a true perspective of riches that he can really know what life is all about. We see two men in this passage, the rich poor man, poor in this world's possessions, but rich eternally. And the poor rich man, rich in this world's goods, but poor if that all is all he possesses. And then he goes on to say, may we not sink our lives in that which fades away, but lay hold on that which is eternal through Jesus Christ. Real wealth lies in Him. I want to close with this thought. If you are rich, and you have all of this world's goods, but you don't have Jesus, then you have nothing. And you are a poor rich man or woman but if you are poor and you have none of this world's goods but you do have Jesus then you have everything everything you need Wednesday nights we're studying we studied we began a study on, on uh, Psalm 23 what does that first verse say the Lord is my shepherd I shall not what want or as one person said, what more shall I want? What more shall I want? Proverbs 13 verse 7 says, There is he that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. And there is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. So let's remember this. Uh, the poor and the rich are the same at the grave. You can ask Pastor Mark. In all the years that he was in the funeral industry, he'll tell you it didn't make any difference whether they were poor or rich. In the grave, they're all, we're all the same. Whether poor or rich, a faith that works will help the Christian through the trials of poverty, of, of poverty and of wealth. So, uh, I end with this question. Are you a rich, poor man? Or a poor, rich man? And then I want to ask you, where, where, where is your treasure? Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So why settle for this world's riches that will fade away when you can have eternal life in the, with the, in the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and you can have all of His riches and glory for all eternity. Remember, when we leave, we're not taking a dime with us. We're going, we're going to leave empty-handed. But there are some things we can take with us. 
we can take souls with us. Amen? Those that we lead to Christ, those who are saved. And by the way, God has planted eternity in the heart of man. Where will you spend it? Father, I pray now that you bless this time together. Lord, we've, uh, we do thank you for the word. We pray that it will help us, Lord, that it will we'll, be practical in our lives. Help us to put into practice what we've learned today. And Father, may we be uh, mindful of, of, of the pitfalls of, of, of riches. And Lord, whether we have much or little, if we have the Lord Jesus, we have everything. And so bless us, we pray now. And in the next hour, bless Pastor as he brings the message. And uh, may it be profitable to us, practical, and uh, may the Lord Jesus be glorified in uh, the preaching of your word. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And all God's people said, 